my name is Peter Engler, and we would like to welcome you to the Why God Why podcast. We are brought to you by Browncroft Community Church. We exist to respond to the questions you don't feel comfortable asking in church. We are here with our extraordinary producer, Nathan Yoder, and our stupendous guest co-host, Josh Eisenhart. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> Thank you. It's, uh, it's... <laughs> Good to be here. <laughs> those sound effects are nice. I don't know if you can hear those, but anyway, that threw me off. Well, the reason why we have Josh here is we are interviewing uh, pastor, educator, teacher, and author uh, Justin Bowers. He wrote the book Wonky, and the question we're dealing with is, well, why do I struggle with the church and not Jesus? And Josh. Um, so you've uh, served in youth ministry, you've served with young adults, now you're the director of storytelling here at Browncroft. I'm sure you've engaged this question in lots of different ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think the idea of, I think a lot of people can get behind the idea of Jesus, mm -hmm. right? Jesus is love, uh, Jesus uh, is just... You know, th that's who we talk about at church. But then sometimes when we get into the nuts and bolts of the church, it's harder to uh, it's sometimes it's harder to see Jesus. And mm. I think that's on us. And I think that's where uh, I know that I read uh, Justin's book and I was like some of the things he was saying was like, oh, I've I've done something like this or I've said something like this or um, I've had that conversation. And it was it was really it was really good. But yeah, definitely starting with students and then especially young adults um, kind of going through those conversations, uh, it's pretty normal now. I mean, it's like nobody just accepts their faith and says like, yep, this is it. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. They're asking great questions and, uh, you know, we got to be ready to answer them. Mm. Well, in that wonderful introduction, Justin, uh, why don't you kind of share a little bit about your story and faith journey and kind of what led you to write Wonky? Yeah, thank you guys so much. I, I'm assuming Josh is co-hosting in case I do really bad. You all get to hold him accountable. So that's he was the connection. So I, I definitely appreciate that. Um, no, it's it's a privilege to be here. Uh, I really appreciate you guys and the ministry that you have there. Um, yeah, I so I grew up uh, in North Central West Virginia and live uh, right in the spot where I grew up. Uh, my wife and I moved back here about ten years ago uh, to plant a church. And so we've, we've pastored a church here for 10 years. Um, I became a follower of Jesus when I was about 12 years old. I was a crazy story. I was playing baseball and got a line drive right to my eye. Uh, so I'm one of the few people who can say they broke their face and, uh, spent some time in the hospital. And I think through that process, my parents were cared for by a local pastor. Um, and we got connected to the church. And so following summer, I ended up at a youth camp and youth ministry kind of became my place. That's where I gave my heart to Christ and <clears throat> kind of just fell into that world. Um, ended up uh, summer before my senior year of high school, I took a short-term mission trip to South Africa. And while I was there, uh, I remember being on the street and interacting with, um, it just doesn't get any better than this. We had a translator named Blessing uh, and there was a
was a man on the street named Moses. And, and I just, it was just one of those moments, like you can't miss that God is doing something. And so as, as we were talking, this, this guy who was probably in his sixties, uh, just began sharing with me how he had lost his wife and kids. Um, uh, I'm assuming to the HIV virus at that point, it was pretty rampant. Uh, and he was asking the question, why, why would a good God allow this? And, and he was asking this question to a white 17 year old kid from West Virginia who had absolutely no answers. Um, and I just remember my heart broke and, you know, I really felt like, and, and still feel like that was the point for the very first time I saw the world, not just as, Hey, I'm a Christian and I've put my faith in Christ, but I'm a part of something and God's heart breaks for the brokenness in this world. Um, and, and it really just transformed everything for me in terms of feeling this call to give my life to ministry and, you know, vocationally pursue that and look into what that looks like. And that's, that's how Josh and I met at Geneva. I was studying youth ministry. Um, we had a, just a great community there, great environment there, uh, to grow in and, you know, really, really kind of found my way into that. And so for about the past 20 years, uh, I've been doing pastoral ministry in a variety of settings. Uh, I've been serving as a youth pastor, worship pastor. Um, and then, like I said, 10 years ago, we moved back to our hometown, uh, and planted a church from the ground up. Um, and I tell everybody it's been the hardest and the best thing that we've ever done. And probably the past two years with COVID, I, I would emphasize the hardest. Um, before that, I would have emphasized the best, but it, but it has just been an incredible journey. And so wonky, the, the book uh, really came out of those past 20 years. I, I mean, I feel like the stories that are told there, the stories that I, I kind of recount, it's, it's a lot of confession. Hey, I've been a part of screwing this up for people. And it's a lot of, is can we stay hopeful? Can we continue to be the church? And so, um, yeah, kind of the, the origins of the book, two, two things happened. One, I was, uh, I was watching with my kids. I have four daughters. And so we were watching the old Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory movie, which by the way, was 50 years old last year. So kind of crazy that I watched that as a kid and now I'm, I'm replicating it with my kids. But there's a scene in this, in this film where Gene Wilder, who plays Willy Wonka, comes out of the factory for the very first time to meet the kids that are about to get this amazing tour. And he looks like this just decrepit old man hobbling along on a cane. And at the last second, he kind of plants his cane in the ground and falls forward like he's going to face plant and then tumbles into this role and jumps up and the whole tone and tenor changes. And I, I watched this film and I looked up just, just cause I'm curious, like, what was that? Where did that come from? And I found this article that he said he put that in the movie. He decided to do that. And his whole point and purpose was to say to the audience, I don't want you to know whether you can trust me or not. And for me, it was this moment of, I was prepping a teaching series and I knew I wanted to preach about the church. I wanted to talk about the church, but I wanted to do it in a way that would connect with people because I was having all these conversations about how the church had hurt people, um, how people were checking out of the church. They really, as Josh said, they really didn't have a problem with Jesus, but they were really worn out, abused, hurt, frustrated, tired of the church in general. And when I read that article about Gene Water, I was like, man, that's it. Like that's, that's, that's 
the place where my friends who are walking away from the church are. Mm -hmm. They don't know if they can trust us anymore. And so the book started to emerge from that. Um, and, and so, you know, kind of the subtitle is how to, how to follow Jesus survival guide for following Jesus when you hate the church. And it's really interacting with, uh, Paul's letters in Corinthians and some of the things that happened in the early church at acts and saying a lot of these issues aren't different. Um, and, and they have, the church has always been wonky. The church has always kind of been jacked up and we got to keep having these conversations because it, even though we are a broken place, uh, we're, we're called to imagine this place that is, is wonderful and, and, and magical and full of life and hope and purpose for the world. So super long introduction, but that's, that's kind of the story of how we got here. Yeah. And I, man, I love hearing just that origin story of your faith and hearing you say, you know, it, it began with a pastor, um, being, the church, the way it's supposed to be, like caring for a family that maybe he knew, maybe he didn't know that well. If you if you're saying you weren't re weren't really in the church that much before then, um, but your broken face and that story, just the origin right there leads this beautiful thread through your journey to now saying like, even what I saw back then. I feel like we do that well sometimes, but not well enough because there's a lot of people who are not experiencing um, the care that, that we should be giving people. So, man, I, I love that. I love uh, just that origin of where that, that book comes from. And, and for me, like when you're having a sit-down conversation, you're, you're across the table from someone and they say, man, I, I do, I love Jesus but the church has hurt me or I just can't stand the, the name it, the politics, the, the hypocrisy, the whatever. Um, in that moment, what do you normally say or what do you find yourself uh, leaning on? Yeah, I think um, it, it, it's funny. I, I find myself a lot of times saying a couple things. One is I'm sorry. Um, and two is me too. <laughs> uh, you know, there's, there's just a reality that I think, you know, as th that we can lead with this humility and this true confessional, Hey, yeah, like I get it. And I am complicit in this. I carry some guilt in this. I have hurt followers of Jesus along the way. And I have chased people away from that. Um, and then, you know, the me too piece is really, I, I've been hurt by the church. You know, I think there's this, there's this weird dichotomy that there's more and more research coming out. There's more and more focus being given to pastoral burnout, um, to ministry leaders struggling with depression and mental health and emotional issues. And the reality is a lot of that is coming from what they're experiencing within the church. So if, if we are called to relational ministry, whether it's pastoral or, Hey, I'm a congregational member and I'm, I'm just trying to reach my friends who are hurt by the church leading with our own hurt, caring with our own hurt, building that relationship with, yeah, I've been there too. Um, I, I think that carries a lot of authenticity and you know, the, the reality is we're trying to listen to what people are really saying. And, and I try to get at this in the book when people are saying they hate the church, it's like anything we 
we're saying we've been hurt, we, we've, we've suffered, or we've given up. Um, a, a lot of the times the church has, people have a false identity or a false image of the church because the church has given a false identity. You know, whether it's, hey, we're really program-centric and you just run our pipeline and all this stuff, and those things are great. Um, but at the core level, the church is the pastor showing up in the hospital room. You know, it's the, the grandmother saint who shows up at school and says, hey, I've been praying for all your kids every day. It's those relational touches uh, that that make all the difference in the world. And so a lot of times that's that's where I am is just, you know, kind of leaning into like, yeah, I get it. And I apologize. And, you know, if we can move forward, let's try to do that together. So what's angered or frustrated you the most about the church in the last year? Man, that's are we going to do therapy now? Is that <laughs> my my wife's a mental health therapist, so yeah. I got to know my lane. But I'm just curious. Yeah, we can't pay you though. Now you got to pay us uh, for this. I know you're making a lot for this. You know, I think um, the line that I've found myself repeating a lot in conversations is that institutionally, and I don't think it's just the church. I work, I work kind of bivocationally right now as a teacher as well, and I think we see it in the schools. I think we see it in the healthcare system, um, everywhere. But but COVID really didn't break things. COVID revealed things. You know, it, it really the the funny thing about the masks is that COVID has kind of unmasked everything and shown us just how much we thought we had together or we pretended like things were going. And, you you know, literally overnight, March 13th, the nature of leading church as we knew it shifted. And it revealed so much. It revealed so much about my heart. I'm sitting on a Sunday morning for Easter of 2020, hitting play on a computer with no one around me and questioning my whole identity as pastor, right? And what, what is this really all about? And at the same time, for those that are part of our faith community, you know, the rationale of I'm not ready to come back. Okay. But you're ready to be at target or you're ready to be at the coffee shop. And, and what do we do with that? Like what, what is the commitment level? So, you know, the anger has come from, um, I don't know. I think I would say there's less anger and more of just kind of an exasperation of like, are we really going to keep trying to do these things the way that we've always done them? Are we really going to not learn anything in this moment? Are we really going to miss this? And I think it's funny because I think it's probably exactly what God has said about me a hundred times. Like, are you really going to keep doing this? Um, and so just, just kind of pausing and going, what, what can we do here? What does the word that I use all the time is what, what do we reimagine? What do we need to reimagine and look at through a new lens that maybe we've never talked about before? Uh, what whether that's the metrics of the church, the commitment levels to the church, the work of discipleship, how do we how do we look at that in a, in a different lens, a different setting right now? When you when you say we keep doing these things, um, not God talking to you, but you in the church, uh, be specific. What what's an area like we keep doing these things and, and what? Yeah, I think, and I, and I, I really hesitate. I don't make blanket statements because I pastor a church in West Virginia, which is a very unique setting. Um, for us, the conversations right now are very much about metrics. And, you know, I, I joke with everybody in the first seven years of our church, I planted a church group, it's 200. And the last three years I've grown it to 60. <laughs> like, like we're really doing well. Um, and, you know, so much of our measurement and our metrics, I think we equate to our worth and our value. And, you know, there's a reality that 
the Bible has a, an entire book called Numbers, so it clearly matters. <laughs> like, you know, there's a reason that Acts says there were thousands of people coming to Christ in that day. And I don't, I would never negate that. But I also think we're in a space and a time where for the past 30 or 40 years, that's been the primary marker um, versus what does a movement of disciple making look like? Mm-hmm. And especially when you look at the trajectory of where our culture is and how people are connecting with the church. I mean, you see it everywhere, whether it's politically, um, church wise, we're kind of bunkering down and going, just, just give me this thing that I think has been right forever, whether it's my political stance or the programs that I had at church or whatever it is. And we do that because it feels good. I I mean, we love it. I, I feel warm and fuzzy when the church leads the worship song that I had at camp as a kid. Um, my grandparents, they feel warm and fuzzy when they sing the hymn that they heard growing up that feels safe, that feels comfortable, but we're in a territory that's unprecedented. We're in a place where our culture has shifted, continues to shift. Um, and, and we're looking at things. We need to look at things in a way that says, okay, so maybe our metrics are off. Maybe those things still matter, but they're not the centerpiece. Maybe the centerpiece is how many times a week am I sitting around tables caring for people that are, that are weeping, you know, or whatever, whatever that looks like. And I think, again, that's not prescriptive. That is, that's the questions I'm asking. And I think it's on all of us in our church settings to be asking those questions. Yeah, I, I, I think you're spot on. And I think, yeah, I mean, I know we are, we talk about the idea of metrics and, and it always starts with, you know, how are we doing here? How are we doing there? And then it kind of goes into, wait a minute, does this, is this the right metric? Is it, are we talking about the right thing here? And, um, yeah, I mean, I think the the crazy thing is that, and maybe it's the thing we don't we don't really like to talk about, but discipleship takes time. You know, it, it's slow. And even uh, our pastor, Pastor Rob, a couple weeks ago, he was talking about that, and he's like, "Yeah, from the front, he's like, we don't we don't like that word. It's a slow word, and uh, that's just not who we are. That's not our culture. We want." As, as individuals, we want to see change and we want to say, see it quick. And as churches, we adopt that and we want to, we want to bring people in. We want them to, to send them out and we want it to be a quick process. And um, most of Jesus' ministry is not that. <laughs> Well, and, and, you know, the kind of the nerdy research part of me, my doctoral work was the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. And the thing that just was hammered home to me, what the Holy Spirit kept saying was like, the disciples never did a whiteboard meeting. (laughs) They never did uh, a five-year plan. They literally were in these rooms going, holy cow, like the Holy Spirit fell while Peter was still preaching. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I mean, I would be so ticked off if I was that preacher. Like I had a good ending written. I was ready. You know, kind of their missional mindset was was let's just try to keep up with what God is doing around us. Let's yeah. adapt, let's create, let's innovate. Um, and yeah, the theology is getting messed up as we go. Cause now the Gentiles are coming in. What do we do? Well, I guess it's okay. Like let's, <laughs> you know, so there's this just kind of adaptive. And I think the church in the U S has for so long, and I love this part of it. I love the strategic conferences. I love the planning. I love vision. Um, but we fixated on that as a way towards this, this growth mindset versus that, slow movement of, yeah, let's, let's kind of lay back here and see what God is doing and lean into that spiritual formation piece. So, so that's a, I think that's a great segue. Cause I, I think even, you know, listeners, as you're here, I think this is part of the problem with the church is church, There's a disconnect between church leaders 
and people of the church because you know church leaders talk about growth and metrics and um <clears throat> and then when people talk about why they left the church it's it's never well you know my church really didn't do a great job with growing like it's you know i got let down relationally so what i want you to unpack now is kind of the personal where our listeners are um which is i hate the church but i love jesus like when you hear that how do you process and walk through that you know josh kind of hinted at that but you know i think some of our listeners they're like i'm all in church i don't understand that others of our listeners they're like i resonate with that a lot like give your perspective on that yeah it was really funny one of the things right after the book released i was and i I really am terrible at this the self-promotion piece um i I was kind of pushing it out on facebook and talking about it and a a guy who's local here a friend of ours he he saw it and it was like hey you know i wrote this i put this out i'm writing this book it's called wonky it's five guys following jesus when you hate the church he just one sentence responds i don't hate my church and i was like like, good for you like i'm really happy for you this is clearly not targeted at you (laughs) and maybe that's not clear (laughs) um but i think it was a point of of insight for me to think that's that's part of it is the longer we are within something the less aware we are of what it feels like to be outside of something Uh, a, a friend of mine uses this illustration with with culture and he talks about like every one of us our house has a smell right like hopefully it's a good smell you know sometimes it's a bad smell if you got a lot of dogs or a lot of teenage boys like it's not a good smell but our houses have this this smell and the reality is most of us if we live there we don't understand that smell we're not aware of it because it's where we live and i think you know that's that's the piece that i appreciate what you're drawing out peter is to say like I may have the coolest vision for my church in the whole world, but the reality is 99% of my congregation doesn't give a rip about my vision statement. They are worried about how to pay their bills on Monday morning. They're worried about how to keep their son off of the drugs. They're, They're worried about navigating their marriage. And as long as I'm thinking with that insider mentality of, yeah, I've got my programs at my church. I've got this thing going. I've got the, and not thinking as, Hey, there's a smell here and and I'm not aware of it. And I've Mm -hmm. got to recognize that and enter into their territory, um, enter into their lives relationally, or, and I think this is, this is even more important, equip the people who care about the church to enter into their lives relationally, create these, you know, kind of level playing field of it's not the pastor congregant separation. It's, it's all of us called to ministry, all of us called to the work of restoration and reimagination and dreaming up what the church can truly be if we are the church. So, yeah. Wow. That was a solid answer. I'll, I'll give you an A on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I was thinking at one point as, you know, you said you kind of did youth ministry. I did youth ministry and we both went to school for that. Um, and, and I think somewhere around when you're when you're talking to middle schoolers, every youth pastor says, like, you got to make your faith your own. Right. You got to make your faith your own. It's not your parents faith. It's not whatever. And um, and so this this over the last probably three, four or five years, this idea of deconstruction, like, like that's a huge thing right now. People are talking about it and they're like, this is new. And I'm like, we've been taught we've been like. Haven't we been encouraging kids to deconstruct their faith since since we started? Because it's really about 
taking what you've been taught, what you've known, your the faith of your parents kind of, and then saying like, wait a minute, like, is this what I really believe? So, and, and so I've had a lot of conversations about this and then you, you, there's a lot of high profile, you know, deconstructing going on of faith. And, and so my question to you would be, what, what would you say is healthy about that? And then on the other hand, what is, what is unhealthy or does it reach a point to where it's unhealthy? Yeah, I love this question. I it's and it's super loaded, as you've said. I my first kind of impulse response is to say I'm not a huge fan of deconstruction in the traditional sense of where it emerged philosophically. I think postmodernism is is kind of the rooting of deconstruction, and it was really kind of this understanding of like a super cynical and hopeless endpoint, right? You just keep picking at things until you get to the reality that there's really nothing truthful to stand on. And I think as followers of Jesus, that's, that's not where we land right now. I will say, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Brian Zond. He's a pastor in uh, Kansas and he, he's written a book that's just tremendous when everything's on fire. Um, and he uses this illustration of like, if we found this thousand year old image painting, whatever of Christ, and the artist was given the job of restoring it, the artist would not use the tools of demolition. You know, the artist would use tools of restoration. And so he says like, yes, deconstruction can be healthy for the, the purpose of restoration, for the purpose of finding the beauty behind it, of, of kind of picking these things apart, getting at, get rid, getting rid of what's worn out, getting rid of what doesn't work in order to restore it. And I really like that. Um, I think where I would maybe push a little farther is I'm not sure today that restoration may just be enough. I think we're also, and, and I know I'm saying this word over and over, but it's, it's not just restoration, it's reimagination. Because so much of our idea of faith and church and you know what it means to follow Christ is tied up into our cultural contexts. Um, you know, in West Virginia, our cultural context, if you're a Christian, you go to church on Sunday morning and it's a nice building. And then afterwards you go to somebody's house for lunch. And if you don't do that, and we may question your Christianity, right? Cause that's what people do. Uh, and that's a, that's a funny example, but, but it's the reality that for so many of us, the, the, the good part of healthy deconstruction is picking that apart to say, what does following Jesus look like at the most base level? the reimagination is part is how can we do that in a day where so many people are deconstructing in a day where so many people have been wounded by the church or feel wounded by the church reimagination is even going farther to say okay let's not just restore but let's rebuild let's learn again what it means to be the community of disciple makers let's look at you know our models of church and our programs of church and our ways of following Jesus and say yeah we found the beauty of the savior who loves us and died for us and rose for us and it, it actually calls us to community and make your faith your own yeah it's a great thing but don't do that alone because it was never meant to be an isolated individual experience and we're actually going to paint for you and embody for you the way of being the community of faith in a way like you've never seen before um, and so that's you know that's kind of I, I had a professor in seminary who talked about like our theology and he used the example of is your theology a pyramid where if you deconstruct one block, the whole thing falls in on itself, or is it a spider web that we get to pick at and we get to recognize the beauty 
of it. And if you something breaks, it doesn't break the whole thing. But we get to watch that be restored, rebuilt. Um, maybe there's a new design and there's some things. And that that can get wishy-washy because then you go, well, what's orthodox and what do we do with that? You know, and I'm not I'm not advocating for that, but I am saying there's a beauty to pulling things apart for the sake of finding the hope of the gospel again and and leaning forward into what that calls us to today in our unique setting and, and context. You know, so recently I was watching an interview with John Plake from the American Bible Society with Sky Jathani and um, David Kinnaman from Barna. And, you know, one of the things that they said was like this next generation of young adults and students are asking this question. They're not they're not asking is Christianity right? They're asking does it work? So um you're shaking your head right now if you're not watching. Why do you think that that's true like in your conversation? Um yeah, I think I don't know if I can say this on here. I think the BS meter is really high. <laughs> I, I think I mean I'm I have high school. So I have 120 high school students every day right now, all day long for different classes, and they are as honest as I will let them be. You know, like they will they will share anything. They have no hesitation. Uh, I mean, I just had a conversation with a student 30 minutes ago who has been asked to be a part of a youth council to to create more stuff for our youth in our community, and she pitches this idea. She's really excited about it. And they're like, yeah, and how about we do it this way? And they totally undermine everything that she's pitched to make it something they've already done. And she's just all ticked off and frustrated. She's like, ah, they don't really want me to be. And, and so I think there's a resonance of the world they're in, the digital world that is so fast. Their brains are moving faster than anybody's in the history of the world is so quick that they just see through it that quickly. Is this Jesus thing real? Does it matter to my life right now? Is it going to affect anything I do? Um, and I think, you know, as a 41-year-old Gen X or Gen Y, whatever category you want to put me in, um, I don't, I don't really get that, and I feel old. But, but I understand it because it's the reality of the gospel. When I read it, Jesus showed up to the leper, and the leper wasn't like, "Hey, convince me you're true and show me in the Old Testament." He was like, "Hey, can you heal me?" You know, there was just this instantaneous, like, are you going to meet me where I am right now? And as people on mission, if we're leading these churches and these movements, if we don't have some kind of urgency and sense of answer to those questions, I think we got a lot of work to do because we're going to lose them that quick. It's going to happen that fast because there's a thousand other things they can move on to. So I... I wanted to kind of drill down on this because we just talked about theology and then we went to like real practical life and they go together and I want but sometimes I hear people say like people aren't biblically doctrinally sound and as a pastor like that's part of my life and but there's also I think what I hear you saying is it's not necessarily people are asking is this a pyramid or a web like like what you're saying is where you probably need to start is what does following Jesus look like Monday through Saturday? So if you're, you know, think of our listeners, like what are the questions that they're asking that are kind of leading to deconstruction? Like, is it, you know, Jesus is the only way or is it, you know, why would a good God allow suffering? Like, and sometimes I think we get philosophical, but I mean, you're talking about students right now and um, I don't know, what do you think those questions are that people are really asking? Yeah. Um, 
my, my first thought, and I'm speaking of the students that I've been talking about there, I don't know what your context is like for us. There is a, there is a family crisis that is just killing our state. Um, the amount of kids in foster care, the amount of kids being raised by grandparents because of opioid addiction. Uh, and, and then there's the second generation that they're, all the officials are worried about because when those kids grow up, they're, they're addicted as well and they will have no grandparents for their kids to go to. And so there's going to be this, the second generation that has been, or this generation has been raised by grandparents or foster parents. The next generation is not going to have those grandparents. And there's this, there's that there are, you know, more than anything. And I say this, I have four daughters, but I am convinced that it is 10 times harder to raise sons today. Um, and to paint a picture for them of what being a godly man looks like, um, and so the questions that I'm finding my, my students asking all the time is like, am I loved? Like, do you love me? And are you going to show up for me consistently or are you going to walk away too? And I, and that's not a God question, but that, that question allows me to tell the, them the story of God in a way that they, they just hang on every word because I'm able to say like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to be here for you, but let me tell you of someone who's, and I'm still going to fail you, but let me tell you someone who's not. Um, I think that question of them, I loved, do I matter? Um, am I worth it? Am I worthy? Uh, those are, those are the questions. And I think those are the questions that, that deal with that thing of, does this matter to me? Does it work for me? Right? Like not just technically work, but emotionally, relationally, our kids are in this, you know, emotional health crisis. And, and again, COVID's made it a thousand times worse, um, that, they're, they're desperate for some kind of longing, meaning, relationship, belonging. And we've tried to be, as a, as a culture, really physically safe, trying to figure out masks and vaccines and all that stuff. But along the way, there's been so much emotional health sacrificed uh, for that. And I think those are the questions that they're just, just dying for answers to right now. And, and you know, I speak to the men of, of, that are listening, saying, you know, whether you love the church or not, go be the church for some young guy that needs it. Go be the the dad that they don't have or go be the mentor that they don't have. Cause that's, that's where that brokenness is just epidemic right now. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I, I was thinking as you were, as you were speaking, I was thinking about actually there was a story that you told, uh, in your book when you started bringing up parents and, and, um, you told the story of a, a disgruntled mom, uh, who, uh, it was actually, it was actually funny because again, I've probably answered uh, mom in the same way, but it was a story about how, uh, she was, uh, maybe giving you some helpful criticism or not so helpful criticism on how to do youth group and said that your youth group was the most worldly place that her, uh, her child would go. Like that was, it was unbelievable how worldly you were and your reaction is priceless is, uh, you just, I think you said like, Oh no, like, <laughs> like, Oh no, this is, you're not exposing your child to anything other than this. This is the worst. So um, as you were talking about sort of the culture that we, we live in, Rochester is is different, but not so different from West Virginia. I think America in general is dealing with a lot of the same same crises and, and certainly 
the family dynamic is a huge part of that for whatever reason, you know, whatever's, whatever's pulling the family apart, the pa uh, families are being pulled apart. Um, and, and so when we get back onto this idea of our faith and understanding the church versus Jesus and, and as, as parents, you know, what do you, uh, what do you say to parents? We actually started a group here at, uh, our church, Browncroft, called Hope for Hurting Parents, because so many, there are so many parents who their their kids have just left, like, faith completely. And they're not in, like, a physical or an emotional crisis. They've just left their faith. They're in a faith crisis. And, uh, and so this group has kind of gotten together to, like, support each other uh, in that. And um, so what would you say to parents who their kids are starting to ask these questions and doubt and uh, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> it's really funny. So yesterday my daughter, she's she's a junior in high school. We, we see each other every day. I actually get to teach one class with her and it's really, really fun. Um, she calls me right after school, probably about 30 minutes after school and she's, she just sounds terrified. And she said, I, I backed into somebody. Or we, we backed, I backed the car into somebody. And I was like, you know, are you okay? But I'm also meeting with a group of guys at that point. And so we have this quick conversation and I'm like, okay, we'll talk about it later. And I'm thinking like, I kept my cool. I wasn't mad. I was glad she was safe. That was my, I did all this right. And I saw her later that day and she was like, I was terrified because you said, we'll talk about this later. <laughs> I was like, no, like that's the last thing I wanted. I just couldn't talk at that moment. Um, but I say that because of, of the fear piece. And, and I think that was her natural reaction. And I think it's, it's the natural reaction that we have as parents so often too. Um, what I would say to those parents is I would, I would go to first John and I do this all the time to say like perfect love casts out fear. The great, like if my daughter really knew the heart of her father in the way that I want her to, she, you know, I love number one, that she wasn't afraid to call me. I hate that she had a sense of fear. Right. And I think that's the way God wants us to see him. Um, but I also am convinced that's the way God would have us lead and guide our kids is that perfect love casts out that fear, uh, for, for those parents whose kids are, you know, walking through this, uh, or walking away from, from the church or walking away from Jesus. Um, I think this is really hard to hear, but I think this is the truth is that they're in really good company. Like the disciples doubted like crazy, you know, John the Baptist sent his own followers and was like, Hey, Jesus, are you really the guy? Like he's, he's not sure he wants to keep suffering. If right. you're not the guy, can you convince us that you're the guy? You know, Jesus has asked at one point, like, why do you, why do you cause us to doubt? And it's one of my favorite parts where he's asked by, by these followers, these religious people, like, why do you make us doubt? Why do you keep creating this tension? Um, cause the word there, the, the, why do you cause us? It literally means like, it's a lifting up. It's a, it's a tension. It's a sense of like this doubt pulls us to a good place, a better place, uh, maybe a higher place. And, and I think it is scary, but it's, but for these kids and, and psychologists tell us this great leaders tell us this it's natural, right? And it's important. And if you, as a parent, if I am the, as a dad am relinquishing them to Jesus, I'm surrendering them to Jesus and I'm walking in the spirit myself, I've got to continue to walk in that faith and trust that he's going to work in their lives. Um, I think a lot of times as parents, we, 
just me, I don't know if everybody else does this, but I see myself more as a tour guide rather than the interpreter. And the great, you know, the tour guides tell us, okay, this stop, here's all the directions, here's all the information, you got it, good, let's move on to the next one. The interpreter says, I'm gonna listen to your conversation, I'm gonna interpret for you along the way, I'm gonna kind of help you as much as I can, get rid of some of these, but, it, but it's your conversation, I'm not gonna put my hands on it. Um, and I think for parents that are, that are watching their kids walk through this, man, if we can give up this, this desire to be the tour guide and have all the perfect answers and get them the right book in their hands so that it'll fix their doubt issues and recognize that we're just called to love and continue to be there as they, as they walk through this. And as we do that, be formed ourselves by the spirit to walk in faith and trust that he's still sovereign and, and that he's, he's got our kids in his hands too. And he loves them more than we do. Hmm. So I kind of want to, you know, because I, I think the struggle that I have with this question is um, like the we have just a general and I think this is all generations like we have a general disdain for politicians and political institutions. You work in the education system. There's a lot of opinions about how we do education here. And it doesn't take a rocket science to kind of say, hey, like institutions including the church like people just don't trust them and that's for very good reason um but on the same token it's it's kind of like you're only seeing things through the bad lens and if you don't like you know kind of commit to the church so you know i think about this it's not just young adults uh, i think there's 30s 40s 50s that you know, I'm going to come to church for about a year, but I'm hesitant to getting involved. And, you know, I, I have different responses for that. Usually my response is, you know, hey, we're here as God leads you. Um, so I just need your help to know when you're ready to take a next step spiritually. I want to be here to help you. But I also kind of get concerned of or kind of. You know, we had a guest named Ashley Cross, and we talked about like the golden corral of um, of spirituality. And so, <laughs> like, I'll take the good parts. Um, and it's funny today I was listening to the radio. Apparently, there is like a huge fight over steak in the Ben Salem, Pennsylvania Golden Corral. It just, um, but it's the best part. Right? It's the best part yeah, right there. Oh, yeah. But I mean, do you kind of? I mean, push back on me, like. I think my concern is I, I want to kind of affirm and empathize and like I struggle and I believe like you, like I'm part of the problem as a pastor. There's definitely situations I wish I could handle differently, but kind of golden corralling our spirituality and even our church experiences. What I mean, what are do you think are kind of the negatives with that that maybe some of our listeners who kind of say, hey, I'm just going to stay back at this level. Um, I don't know, push back on me, share your thoughts. Yeah. Um, man, I think the first thing that comes to mind is, is this idea of, uh, Malcolm Gladwell has a podcast and he did a, he did a, an episode where he talked about all the artifacts from the, the New York major museums that are in storage that never see the light of day, right? These just like thousands upon thousands of Oriental or rugs that are amazing and priceless and, you know, worth millions and they never, ever get displayed. 
right? And and is the whole thing like was this idea of when you're a curator of a museum, you make these choices and you decide what gets up on the walls and what people see and what doesn't, and you're you're responsible for the whole collection, but you get to decide what goes out to the public and the public doesn't even know what they're missing, right? Mm. Versus this idea of cultivation, which is like no, like we plant a garden, we do the work and we weed and we try to get the right conditions and we tend to the soil and we water as much as we need to. We try to provide light, but the growth happens outside of us. Um, and I think that's a, I'm just, for me, that's, that's what God has been kind of working in me the past couple of years is like your leadership, our leadership as, as missional leaders is a lot more cultivation and a lot less curation. It's a lot more of this idea of let's get the soil right. Like let's, let's create environments where relationships are really good. And like, we're really good at caring for each other and showing up when we hurt. Um, and our leaders are honest and authentic to the point that it costs them like that. Cause I'm really honest in my sermons, but I'm pretty guarded about what it's going to cost me. But like, let's have costly honesty because that's going to create an environment where our people are going to go, Oh, like they're sharing out of their brokenness then my brokenness is okay too. And the, the soil then gets right for healing, for relational and spiritual health and freedom. Um, I, I think that's the, that's the piece. I also think this, you know, this loss of long-term commitment, you know, the long-term faithful relationships that our society just doesn't really see much anymore. Um, you know, in our town, I'm sure it's the same in, in your town. And I talk about this in the book, the vagrant Christians that kind of move from place to place to place. And there's a cycle of like every four or five years, well, your church isn't meeting my needs. So I'm going to go to this church because their music's better or their programs fit my kids better or whatever. Um, and I don't, I don't knock people for that, but I do think it's saying something about our commitment levels. And by the way, I think our leaders have the same issues. You know, we get, we get to the point where the grass is greener and we want to move on. And, and so finding this long, faithful, slow obedience, that's what Andy Crouch calls it, right? Like long, faithful, slow obedience. It's, it's the Eugene Peterson that looks back and goes, Oh my gosh, like here's, here's what ministry looked like over 40 years rather than four months. My four month plan is really sharp. My 40 year plan. I don't even know what that looks like. Um, but if it's about, if it's about cultivation, then I can take my hands off of the controlling pieces. I can worry less about how things are going to go and say, I'm just, I'm going to trust again, that ax piece, like here's where the spirits of work, let's cultivate that. Like, let's be really good at asking questions and setting up spaces where people's relationships are getting healthy and they're being brought closer to Jesus and we're glorifying him along the way. Um, you know, the, the past couple of years, the thing that has sustained me are the the ancient practices of spiritual formation, the silence, the solitude, the things that, that nobody's ever programmed for me, you know, just giving space in my life to those things. It's rocket science, right? Like we've only been told this for thousands of years, <laughs> like <laughs> silence, solitude, prayer, meditation, fasting, do those things. Oh, maybe we need to write another book about something new. And I, I think those are the things that, that just keep us rooted in those practices of what, what the spirit has for us. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I, I love that you just said that these ancient practices, because it was probably, I don't know, five, 
to seven years ago. I don't know. I'm old now, Justin, so I can't remember years. Um, but it was a, we had a, someone on staff that really challenged me with a lot of those. He was like, you got to get down to the Abbey of the Genesee, which is a, a monastery not far from us. And um, you got just silence, man, just spend time in silence and listening and I'd never done that you know that never came up in the uh, uh, the curriculum at G Geneva even at least well I might not have been paying attention to be fair to all the great teachers there um, but uh, it home really of the changed. golden tornadoes yeah home of the golden tornadoes <laughs> but uh, but it did it changed it changed a lot in just just that just listening I mean just listening there's so much uh, richness to that so. Well, I, yeah, and, and I mean, that's, you know, the cynicism that, that we get when we sit around with other pastors. Why are people leaving? Why aren't they committed? Why can't we get more volunteers? Um, I, I wonder if it's because they've encountered the programs that I've built, but I'm not helping them encounter Jesus, hmm. right? Because the disciples encountered Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and said, yeah, we'll die for that, no problem. It wasn't a class that Jesus taught. It wasn't a small group that Jesus hosted. It was the resurrected Jesus. And I think a lot of times in our churches, we're like, well, I can't believe people would check out of this small group so quickly or, or this youth ministry or whatever. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm getting more convinced that like, no, that makes perfect sense because I wasn't letting them encounter the resurrected Jesus. They were encountering my, encountering my strategy and my program. Well, and I, I think this is kind of good as we kind of get to a closing and we can talk a little bit more, but, you know, I think even what I struggle with and I, I just resonate with so much is like where Josh start, at what point are people's faith their own? Um, at what point, and like as a pastor, what keeps me up at night besides my one-year-old Lucy is <laughs> like... I, I don't want to throw someone to Spirit of the Disciplines by Richard Foster and have them be like overwhelmed. But I also kind of know that like I can't keep spoon feeding you because when you do something, even when you do it imperfectly, like God has a way of blessing that. You know, it's I, I don't think people realize it's a scandal that people can read the Bible now. Like Gutenberg, like we talk about it like it was this huge celebration. Like, like priests didn't let people read the Bible and everybody can get access to the Bible right now. Like, and there's, there's a little bit of good things with that, you know, like what they did pre Gutenberg because like people can interpret that. But I, obviously I think everybody having access to the Bible in a translation is really beautiful, but you know, it takes work to understand it. And even when I first started reading the Bible and I started like there's things that I got wrong with it that that took time and and I, I guess what I'm even saying going back to this why do I struggle with the church and not with Jesus like the fact that you're talking about church being a place of cultivation we don't get it right on the first time and it is about the Monday through Saturday and it is about having a life that's practiced and and rooted and you know with prayer and Bible reading and community and and like even I, I think I struggle with this, like when someone comes to me and they're like, well, like, uh, what's my next step? Like, I, I think I need more information or I need more class. And and I want to like respond to that. I want to be kind. But it's also like, you know, maybe maybe it's something that like you need to do outside the church. Um, 
And like what Josh said, the Abbey at Genesee, or maybe it's serving with one of our partners on your own or, mm-hmm. you know, starting, you know, a, a group or something like that. Because I, I think that sometimes what you're saying is why people are leaving, they're leaving programs. They're not necessarily leaving the church or leaving Jesus. Yeah, I think that's spot on. I And I think that would echo back to parents too. Like it's, it's casework, not classwork, right? Like we, if we could become better social workers who say, I've got these 25 cases, these people, and every one of them is in a different place, then that means I start in different places with the conversation, with the relationship, you know, that this, this student that I have, or this college student I have, or my next door neighbor, um, I may have a student who's having major parental issues. And that's where we start. That's where discipleship begins for them rather than let me hand you a Bible and tell you about the old Testament, the new Testament, right. Or a neighbor whose marriage is falling apart. That's, that's casework. That's not classwork. It's not that the classrooms are bad or the small groups are bad. The programs are great. That's just, we we just can't end there. That can't be the end goal. Mm. Hmm. Justin, um, you know, other than the fact that you're friends with Josh, I just think it's really great that we have you on the podcast. So, um, you know, I'm a big fan of Josh. So we always end, uh, we always end this podcast episode with the question, what does Jesus have to say about this topic? Um, and so we all answer that. And, uh, so the great thing is Josh and I will answer and then you get to clean up any heresy that we <laughs> botch. So. Will, yeah, there will be heresy. All right. Just so yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Take notes. You know, Josh just got credentialed. So he, he is a REV dot. He's a reverend. Yeah. So. Hey, that's no exciting. Deal. Congratulations. It's, oh, thanks. And I, I did, I thought for a second when we introduced him, he is a doctor. We should call him a doctor. Justin uh, is fine. Are you are you the are you the Reverend Doctor Justin Bowers? Yeah, and all that means is that I have more student debt than a lot of other people. <laughs> oh man! Well, uh, what does Jesus have to say about this topic? Uh, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. I mean, I uh, I saw this question and I I was like, man, I Jesus has a lot to say about this topic. I think, but I um. I'm all about simplifying, right? So for me, what I started thinking about when I I read, why do I struggle with the church and not Jesus? I kind of was trying to think, what, what does Jesus really want us to do? You know, what, what does he want us to do? And I started thinking about Peter, you know, after the resurrection, uh, Peter, of course, denied Jesus three times and Jesus told him he would do it. He didn't believe it. And, um, and then he finds Peter and there's this just like one of my favorite moments of scripture where he walks up to Peter and says, do you love me? You know, the guy who just denied him, do you love me? And Peter says, yeah. And he's like, you know, feed my sheep, lead my, and, and I, uh, I feel like as a church and as, um, as someone who's asking this question, uh, who do you think Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? Do you love him? And if you do, then, you know, as a church, we get things wrong and we overdo it sometimes, but do, are we loving people? Well, are we loving people? Well, and even as a follower of Jesus, um, there are things and there are, there are things that the church has to apologize for, but 
do you genuinely know and love Jesus? And mm. and that I don't know. That's the that's what I thought. I don't know if it's right or not. We'll let Justin, you know, clean it up later. Sure. You know, I um, I think my favorite word from this uh, interview from Justin is cultivation. And whenever I meet someone that's struggling with the church, um, usually what I want to tell them to do is, can you just reread the four gospels? Mm. And the reason I use the word cultivation is you see what Jesus is doing. Um, Jesus is, um, he is rebuking religious leaders for what's wrong. We all enjoy that. Um, we enjoy that he's rebuking the hypocrisy and the Pharisees and, and, and like, I, I think you can relate to that, but he's also cultivating a church and he's cultivating a people that are imperfect. You know, Josh mentions Peter and his failures. You know, Peter's my namesake uh, by accident. My older brother's name is Andrew. Like, like these characters like screw up. And it's amazing that Jesus entrusts the message of the gospel that changes the world to a couple hundred no names and we begin to see just a different picture that, that yeah, we can struggle with the church. I think the disciples did, you brought that up, but there's something about cultivating the message of Jesus that when we find that, you know, in many ways it works more than we even think. And the gospel is more beautiful and life-changing. And as you read the Sermon on the Mount and you just see the values of the kingdom, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemakers, all these things that you know, our culture is looking for are found in Jesus, but the working out of that and the cultivation of that is really hard work. And you can sit there and be like, this is a season that it's going to be really, really hard. I might process and figure it out, but I'd encourage our listeners. What Jesus has to say is everything that I said in the gospels is why we struggle with the church, with the brokenness of sin, but it's the hope of the resurrection too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know that I would add too much. <laughs> I, I think I think what comes to mind is there's there's a, a part of Hebrews right late late in the book of Hebrews where there's this really rich discussion of how the sacrifices at the temple were given and then what was left over that the unclean parts were taken outside the city outside the the gates and they were burned in kind of this toxic um, you know the place that was cast aside right it was it was worthless. And and the writer of Hebrews makes the point that that's where Jesus died. He died outside the camp. He died outside the boundaries of what the religious establishment had set up. And and the the, the writer concludes like he says, "Let us go to him outside the camp. Let us go to where he went." And I think that's more than anything. If I could rewrite any part of the book, that's the part I would bring in is to say, if we're going to reimagine this, if we're going to move forward with pulling people to Jesus, but not just to Jesus, but to the reality that, that the faith community matters, we have to be willing to go outside of our camps. We have to be willing to get outside of what we consider to be clean and safe and well done and, you know, whatever it is and, and move to those margins where the reality of people's brokenness uh, lies, um, where the places of brokenness in our culture lie and, and go there all in to say, that's, that's where Jesus would be. That's, that's the spot where he already 
he is. And I think he's at work. We trust that he's at work. Um, and he's kind of waiting for us to show up. He doesn't need us, but he's invited us. And that's, that's the great joy that we have as, as followers of Christ. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a beautiful place to head towards. Mm. Great. Man, Justin, we'll have to have you back on. Thank you for making time at the end of your school day. Um, people can, uh, if you go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble, you can find his book, Wonky. Um, where else can people find you online? Uh, that's uh, that's where you find the book. Um, my wife and I have a website together. It's called better-stories.com. Um, she's a photographer, and I think about things, so she's way more valuable than I am. <laughs> uh, but we have a lot of fun kind of just, just creating stuff and dreaming up ideas and, and going from there. Those are probably the, the two places I'd recommend. But Instagram, for sure, Twitter, for sure, uh, and kind of avoiding Facebook just for my own sanity, but but life is, life is still maintaining. <laughs> Well, we're so glad to have you on, Josh. Thanks for uh, co-hosting with me today. Uh, You can find us at whygodwhypodcast.com. The best way to get a hold of us is to subscribe uh, to our email. comes out every week. You're going to hear this episode and other great episodes, too. So thank you so much for joining us. Justin, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you guys. It's been a blast. Thank you so much.